You know, that's a really important song just to set some, some structure or some, uh, what's the word, some, some context for what we're going to be talking about today. You know, we've been in this series on Revelation for the last two weeks, and we're going to kind of wrap it up today, which I know people are asking, why are you going so fast, all this stuff, and hopefully I'll answer the question today. I really hope to. You know, we, we started by saying, why are we studying the book of Revelation? We looked at that week one. Again, if you are just joining us, we're so happy you're here. Feel free to go back and watch these messages. It kind of tells a whole story. I'll do my best to kind of bring everyone up to speed. Uh, But we looked at why are we looking at this? It's not a puzzle. It's not a mystery to be solved. It's not like a national treasure thing that you, because of how you understand scripture, you're going to figure something out and you're going to have access to something that no one else does. It's not, sorry. Sorry to burst your bubble. It's not you, Okay. Then we talked about what happens. What is, what is the book about? What happens? Obviously, it's about Jesus returning to earth, but, but what are all the nuances, the details? And we've been unpacking those. We unpacked two of them. Last week, we're going to unpack the rest today. And then ultimately, we're going to answer the question, when? When is this happening? When is Jesus coming back? And spoiler alert, we don't know. But in the midst of that, what we don't know, there are things that we do know that I think are pertinent for us to walk out of here today. Now we're going to kind of talk about that here in a second. But here's a guiding text, uh, again, just a reminder of the why. A guiding text for us to look, a lens for which we're going to kind of move forward today. It's found in 2 Thessalonians. Paul writes this. He's speaking about the last days. And look what he writes. I put on the screen for you. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed. Don't be easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say. Now, here's why I said that this is a kind of a guiding text for two reasons. One, we don't need more anxiety, fear, worry, or concern. I got enough of that. Do you have enough of that? Right? We, so, so don't be alarmed. This is not meant to cast anxiety. It's actually meant to be securing to your hope. God is who he says he is. And when he comes back, it's going to be beautiful, and it's going to be a party, and it's going to be a celebration, and it's going to be wonderful. And I'm going to tell you all about that today here in a second. But then the other thing over here is, again, I know I've reiterated it, I'm going to keep reiterating it, is because it's already started. People are coming to me like, hey, I want to study this more. Are there any good books? And the answer is no, there's just a good book. Because be careful, because when you go, all of a sudden you start to, there's like books on breaking the code, and what does this mean, and what does this mean? And it's like, listen, this is not a puzzle to be figured out. This is not something that some author can unpack for you where he knows something you don't. Can I tell you that God wants you to know something very clear is that he wants to be in relationship with you, and this is how he's going to return to do that. That's what it is. Nothing more, nothing less. Because I'll tell you what, you can't add to that. That is substantial enough that we can kind of park there and live our life. And that's what I'm hoping we will do. God wants to be with us. His motivation is not judgment and wrath. It's that he wants to be with you. He wants to be with me. He wants to be with us. That's what this book is about. That's what this letter from John is about. It's a love story, not a horror story. All right, so if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Revelation. We're going to be covering chapter 6 to 22. So I encourage you just to open it and stare at it and then watch the screens. Because we're moving real fast, all right? And just enjoy it, but process it. And then there's going to be times where I'm like, hey, you should read this. Because there's just times where 
I don't need to unpack anything. You just need to live in it. And you need to read these words because they're so beautifully written about what it's going to look like at the end. Is that okay? I had to ask the 930 service, like, are they ready six times? And I'm still not sure that they're ready. So I'm going to ask you one time, are you ready? Okay, see, wow, blew them out of the water. Let's do this. All right, here we go. Book of Revelation consists of six major events. Just to recap really quick, we covered two of them last week. Uh, The first two, Revelations 2, chapters 2 and 3 is about the church age. We talked about the letters that they wrote to the seven churches in Asia Minor and what those have to do with us. Again, I can't go back and tell you all details, but you're sitting in a church and you'll always be sitting in a church. And so I think you need to find what the, the rebuke, what the warning, what the word was to each of those churches, I think is still being uh, speaking to us. It's edifying for the people in the churches today. So check that out. Then we talked about the rapture of the church. That's Revelation chapter four, the rapture, which again, the word rapture is not in scripture. But the idea absolutely is. Again, I unpack that in great detail. I know that there is maybe a source of contention or a source of theological argument. Here's the best part. We can argue all of eternity. I don't care. right? I just preach from my conviction, my understanding of the Bible. If you have a difference of opinion, I, congratulations. No, seriously, I'm, I'm happy for you. What I don't think we're going to argue about is Jesus coming back. Amen. <laughs> And if you want to argue about that, I don't know that I don't know that I want to because if you don't believe Jesus is coming back, then why are you here? <laughs> it's, it's church. I mean, okay, whatever. So the rapture of the church, right? And then today we're going to cover these next four. We're going to Revelation six through nineteen. It's the bulk of the the book. It's the tribulation. That's messed up. Uh, then Revelation 19 through 20, we're talking about the second coming of Christ. Revelation 20, the great white throne of judgment. And then the final event is what God does at the end of the book. He explains how he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And I'm excited about that. All right, so that's kind of the arc for today is we're covering those four. And so we're going we're gonna to jump into it. Are you ready? Okay, good. I'm going to still take, that was horrible. I'm going to still take what you said before. You're ready. So Revelation 6 to 9, let's talk about the tribulation. As you can see, it's a lot of the book. A lot of the book. And uh, it's crazy, but I want to just give you some context, right? I believe that the church will be spared from this situation. I believe it because of this. I put on the screen for you. The church is never mentioned again after chapter 3. It's mentioned 18 times in the first three chapters, but never again after this moment. And it's really important. I'm going to make another point or case to that here in a second. But the tribulation is a seven-year period where God's wrath is being poured out on what he created. His wrath is being poured out on the creation. And it begins with this revealing of this player that a lot of people are freaked out about. It's this guy called the Antichrist. Now, I know that that's a word that's scary because you're like, Whoa, is he a demon? I don't know. Is he a celebrity? I don't know. Is he a politician? Probably. I don't, I don't, I don't know what he is. I, I don't know if he's a famous person. He could be a YouTuber. I, I, I don't know. But I remind you, we don't have to have worry. We don't have to anxiety. Because it's not a horror story. It's a love story. And what I do know is that this guy, he's going to come off really appeasing. He's almost going to broker peace. He's going to bring a level of confidence. He's going to bring a level of clarity. He's going to bring a level of peace on a global level that we're going to think, if you're still here, if you're still here, that everything's good. Oh, this guy's great. Like this might be the third great awakening. He's going to do crazy things. Like he's going to broker a deal between Israel and Palestine. 
And not just a peace treaty like that we've had for at times. I'm talking about he's going to broker a deal with such depth of peace that they're, the Palestinians are going to, or the Palestinians are going to let the, the Jewish people start to rebuild the temple on the Temple Mount. Which, side note, asterisk, like that's all the preparations are ready. All of the materials are sitting, stockpiled, waiting for that to happen because that is a major signal of things to come. And I tell you that because don't be alarmed by that, but I want to remind you that, that this book communicates that we have a part to play in it. This is not something we just sit by and watch. It's actually something we should hurry along. Scary, I know. Because what signals Jesus' return is that the bride is ready. And I don't know about you, but I want to be ready. I want more people to be ready. I want him, just like I told you last week, when the, the wedding bells ring, the doors open, and all of heaven stands up, and the bride is walking down the hall, I, w- I want Je- you know, Jesus to look down and be like, oh, she's wonderful, not, oh, really? I waited a long time for this. Right? I want, I want, we want to be ready. And so we can hurry it along by being ready and ensuring our family, our friends, and our loved ones are ready. So this seven-year period is going to happen. And in that first three and a half years, there's going to feel what is peace, what is this beautiful global phenomenon of unitedness. And all of a sudden, some things like the temple is going to be rebuilt. And, and then at around three and a half years, the scripture tells us that all hell is going to break loose. And this supposed antichrist is going to turn back on his word. He's going to break his promises. He's going to break the agreements he brokered. And all of a sudden, his true nature is going to be revealed. But let me remind you, don't be easily shaken or alarmed. Because my belief is we're not here. And here's my last validation of why we're not here. Just a few verses later, look what Paul writes. For this lawlessness is already at work secretly. And it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. Who's the person holding it back? It's called the Holy Spirit. And here's what's really important about the Holy Spirit. It says that in the Old Testament, that when God broke his people free, it says that the Jewish people, the Israelites, they followed God by a cloud during the day and by a pillar of fire at night. Then in Acts 2, we study the start of the early church, and we see that there's a whole bunch of people in this upper room, kind of, kind of this cool kumbaya uh, hippie movement at the upper room, hotel, motel, holiday inn type situation, right? And all of a sudden, it says that the pillar of fire descends, and it breaks apart into flaming tongues, and it rests on every person. And then what we find in the rest of the New Testament is this reiterated idea that the Holy Spirit is God's gift. It's actually Jesus' gift to those who are left here, who have this power with them, in them, to sustain them until he returns. And so here's my point, is if the Holy Spirit resides in us and the church is raptured up to Jesus, then the Holy Spirit leaves the earth. And all of a sudden... It will no longer remain in secret because the one who is holding it back steps away. Essentially, I believe what they're saying is the Holy Spirit or the Antichrist cannot come until the Holy Spirit is removed from the earth. But you got to read it for yourself. Establish your position. And then we could debate it all of eternity because Jesus is going to be good. He's going to come back and we're going to be with him. Amen?
All right, let's jump back in this tribulation. It's the most confusing and metaphorical part of the story. There's dragons, there's eagles, there's beasts, there's wild animals, there's things that come out of the sea. It's crazy. Like you feel like you should do shrooms to understand it. Now here's what I'm telling you. Don't do that. Don't do that. But, but, but I just want to give you an example, okay? So 2,000 plus years ago, God shows up and gives this man a vision of what the end is going to look like. How do 2,000 years ago do we explain uh, nuclear bombs, helicopters, battleships, warships, and AI? You can't. And what I don't want you to miss is all of this symbolic visual stuff is not a puzzle to be solved, figured out, you know, put together. It's not the Da Vinci Code. You're not going to, what it's meant to say is it's going to be crazy. Because when Jesus comes back, unexplainable things will happen. And in this tribulation, I'll give you some example of some crazy things that will happen. John is seeing the end of time, the technology, the nuclear realities, all of this. And I love what G.K. Chesterton says. He says, John saw many, I put on screen, saw many strange monsters in his vision, but he saw no creature so wild as one of his own commentators. That's us. That's us trying to put words or trying to figure out. But now let's look at what he saw. Here's what we find. One out of every two people will die, some through the ravages of war, others by starvation, others by the beasts of the earth, Revelation 6, 8. One third of all vegetation will be burned up, all grass everywhere, every green thing will be destroyed, Revelation 8, 7. The sun and the moon will be darkened as nature goes into revolt, Revelation 8, 12. This one's my favorite because... What scripture tells us in Psalms and in every other places, it says, if we cease praising, even the rocks will cry out. But what it doesn't say is that the created order will be raptured. It just says the church will. And so what God created, what God set into motion will be left, and it's gonna see what's happening in such disgust that it's going to revolt itself because it knows who's in charge. That's amazing. The gates of hell will open up. Hordes of locusts the size of horses will come upon the earth. Those locusts will be allowed to sting men like scorpions. The Bible says men will beg God to let them die, but they will not die. I'm out. No, no thank you. There will be worldwide famine unlike anything the world has ever seen. Revelation 18.8 there will be a world war so bloody that the blood of those killed in the battle will flow for miles. Revelations 14, 20. It also says uh, that the, the blood will be so deep that you could drown in it. And during this great tribulation, as many, half, as many as half of the people on the earth will be killed. It is going to be awful. It's going to be horrible. God's wrath will be poured out. Now, if you're like me, and I, I don't know if it's millennials in a whole, I don't know if it's Gen Z, or I don't know if it's the unnamed generation that is still to come, but we question everything. We do. And the most perplexing thing about this, the, the question that I have, the, the part that I can't wrap my head around is, God, why? Why do we need a tribulation? And I, I confess with you, I don't know that I have an answer. 
But I do feel like the Holy Spirit spoke to me as I was prepping this. And, and one of the things that he uh, illuminated, one of the thoughts that he gave me is, is it's kind of crazy, but, but maybe we serve a God that is so good that he gives even his creation one last chance to need a savior. Because the hope of the world is gone. The local church isn't there. The Holy Spirit isn't there. But he will make it so bad that people will cry out for a savior. And I think that he will respond because he is a God of love. Because he wants heaven bigger and hell smaller that he will do what he has to to show how great he is. That's amazing. And then what happens is the most amazing, most beautiful thing in the world. What we have is the next event, the second coming of Christ. And again, I could describe it. I could tell you. I could give you all of these things. But all of them would pale in comparison to just reading Scripture. Look what Scripture says in Revelation 19. It says, Then I saw heaven opened up, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release his fierce wrath of God. The Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press, and on his robe at his thigh was written the title King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I love that. And I will tell you, I'm just going to help you understand the significance of that, that, that scripture right there. We have this science that tells us that our entire world, our entire universe, our entire beings revolve around this giant ball of light called the sun. That if I were to move earth by even half a degree, uh, life would cease to exist. We constantly are learning how fragile our ecosystem is, how delicate it is how divine it is. And yet what's going to happen is that the creator who is outside of his creation, he's not held by the bounds of it, he is going to enter it again. And instead of submitting to the laws of man and coming through childbirth, he is going to come in his power, his might, and his glory. And everything that is in motion, because right now you might not know this, but the earth is spinning around the sun millions of miles an hour. And all of it is going to cease. All of it is going to come to a standstill as the creator steps into the creation. And it's crazy because everyone is not going to be able to deny and move on with their agenda. They're going to stop. And when scripture says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, they are saying every tongue will confess and every knee will bow to what it can't avoid. The sky's opening up and the rider entering the story the King of kings and Lord of lords. And it's going to be this beautiful homecoming where everything that was once warred against us will come to an end because it will know that it has no more power, no more strength, and it cannot win. And it says that the enemy will be destroyed, the Antichrist will be ended, and the devil himself will be thrown into a pit because our Lord is home. And then what happens next it's beautiful, it's a party, it's a beautiful celebration. It is almost as if a wedding reception is about to happen. 
And I, and I know that it, it's not the wedding service. I think the wedding service is the second coming of Christ. Here comes the bride and everyone will know he's here. Because your attention will be drawn to it. It'll be so powerful. What happens next is this reception where we celebrate the union that was just made. And in this union, we find in Revelation 20, which is the fifth event, the great white throne of judgment. And I want you to understand something. Many of us, because of songs, because of books, because of our human understanding, our Western civilized understanding of how justice by our definition and standard works and crazy books and movies with Nicolas Cage, who's broke, called Left Behind, have just ruined things for us. This is not what you think it is. I know that I even had someone ask me a question like, you, Pastor, you said we don't have to stand in judgment? No, 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 we're not going to court. We're not sitting in a court case and we're not serve a God who's going to sit there in a robe with a giant gavel and he's going to try each one of us and either find us guilty. Guess what? You're guilty. I want to tell you that right now. You're guilty. There is nothing you could do to deserve the gift of salvation, but yet Jesus freely gave it to you. So court case is over. What is going to happen is not what you think. And that's why I want to unpack it. Revelation 20 says this. Then I saw a great white throne. And him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, but there was no place for them. That's crazy. The creation attempted to run from the presence of God, but yet they had nowhere to run, so they returned. Billions of people there. Verse goes on, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the Lord and the throne. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. So billions of people there, everyone that has ever been created, everyone who has ever lived, those who have gone before us and those who are coming after us are all there. It's going to be crazy. And we're going to stand in awe of this great throne. We're all going to hear perfectly because I don't think he'll need a sound system. And then it tells us that something is going to be happening. There's going to be a sorting, if you will. And I want to really hone in on that sorting, because what does it say? And the books were opened. The books, if you're underlining type, highlighting type, make sure you pay attention. The books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And what we find here is that there's two ways in which people are going to be judged. The books or the book. The books or the book. Let's unpack that. The book is the Lamb's book of life. When you are saved, Scripture tells us that your name gets recorded in one single book. It is the Lamb's book of life, saying that Christ paid it all. It means everything you've ever done, the bad, the sin, the shame, they were paid for by Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Nothing can erase your name. Nothing can erase your name. Nothing can remove your name. Your name is written and secured in the Lamb's book of life. But that's the other book that was opened. What are the books? The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The books is what the dead is judged by. And what he is ultimately saying is that you and I have a choice. We can be judged by the book or the books. 
What's in the books is they record the same sin, the same shame. The only difference is the books communicate that you're paying the bill, not Jesus. And I love this because everyone says, man, how could a good God send people to hell? And we have this, this idea of hell. Man, how could a loving God allow his people that he loved, that he was willing to die for, to burn in hell? And then we have this thing like, what is hell? Is it this weeping and gnashing of teeth? Is it, is it you're just on fire forever? And I just want to pause right here. And I want to clarify something. I want you to understand something that's very important theologically. I put it on your screen. Hell is not a place that God sends people to. It's a place that people go who want to pay for their own sins. God doesn't send people to hell. There are people who are arrogant and prideful enough. Their sin has gotten the best of them where they look and they say, you know what, Jesus, I understand you want to pay the bill. But no, I want to pay my own bill. I'm good enough. I'm wealthy enough. I got enough of this skill. I got enough of this character. I got enough of this integrity. I got enough of this resource. I'm going to pay the bill. And God, his grace is like, if you want to, you can. And all of us Christians are like, idiot. Because we're over here going, there isn't anything that we could have ever done. There's no amount of money. There's no amount of worth. There's no amount of character, no matter of integrity, no matter of anything. We just accepted the free gift of Jesus. And so again, I, want, I just want to unpack this. Because here's the th crazy thing that we also forget. Is everything good, everything beautiful, everything important. Everything that you love, everything like a smile, everything like the twinkle of an eye, everything like a dad when he sees their newborn for the first time. And while everyone else thinks they look like an alien, they think it's the most beautiful thing in the world. <laughs> I remember when I, I had my, it was pregnant. Well, I wasn't. My wife was, just to be clear. You don't know these days, okay? <laughs> my wife was pregnant. Everyone gave me this piece of advice. It was the only piece of advice that proved true. He said, your life's going to change. Everything you think you love, you're not going to love. And I used to be so frustrated with that. I love movies. And I used to pride myself. I don't care if I have kids. I'm going to still love movies. Well, guess what? I still love movies. The crazy part is I love my kids more than I love movies. I love my kids so much that I do stupid things like give them sugar and Nerf guns. <laughs> and then expect different results. But what I'm trying to communicate to you is everything that you can't quantify that you like in someone else, you have to understand comes, everything good comes from God. And why is that important is because when someone says, I want to pay the bill, when they say, I'm good enough, I can handle it, I'm not that bad, when they want to pay the bill, What hell really is, is the presence of God being removed from their life. And can I tell you, all that they are left with is their sin, their shame, and their wretchedness. And there's nothing that anyone would like about them to be found. Because anything you like about someone is actually from God. Because he is the definition of good. And so it's not going to be this crazy situation where we're going to be like, no, my daughter, I can't believe she didn't know Jesus. I love you. And you're like, how can I go to heaven and cry? And miss my daughter. No, you're going to see your loved one for their pride and their arrogance and their foundation of I'm paying the bill. 
You're going to see them for their wretchedness, and you're going to be so disgusted when you compare that to the presence of God that you will gladly step in the next, and you won't think another day about what is wrong, what is evil, and what is not good. Because everything you loved about them is with you in heaven. Hell is not a place God sends people to. It's a place people go who want to pay for their own sins. That is the fifth event. And finally, what sets up is the last event. Guess you could call it the honeymoon. Revelations 21 through 22, a new heaven and a new earth. I read this and you know, I preached this at 930. And this sweet little girl, she's like, are you telling me that we get to do everything we're doing now but there's no sin and there's no pain. I'm like, yeah. She's like, heaven's gonna be awesome. And I'm like, yes. And she's like, it's the best day ever. She walked out, I was like, yes, yes. I'm telling you that because there's something beautiful about just a childlike wonder and, and love. And I ask that you hear this, you receive this, you, you read this with me through the eyes of a child. Look what it says. Then I saw a new heaven. This is Revelation 21. A new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. The sea was also gone and I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God is home and he is now among his people and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. And he will wipe every tear from his eyes and there'll be no more death and no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All these things will be gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Now, I want you to go with me. I want you to finish this thought. You take this out of context, it gets a little hairy, okay? So don't, just, just go with me. But I love that he says he's making everything new, but can I, can I confess to you, he's not making everything new? And this is why I get so irritated by people today. They take this book called the Bible, and they somehow elevate things like the New Testament or these letters in red, and they say, oh, these mean more than everything else. And they fail to understand that from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it's the same story of God's plan and pathway for reconciling his creation unto himself, period. And so when God says, I'm going to make everything new, he's actually going to return it to its Genesis 1 state that he always designed his creation to be. Here's the only difference. And this is the new part. Rather than create this beautiful paradise in which there's order, there's beauty, there's joy, there's feasting, there is connection, there is walking with our creator at the cool of the night. The thing that's gonna be new is he's gonna remove any temptation of anything else. The tree that once was the thing that we could not touch is going to be gone and there isn't anything we can't touch. There isn't anything we can't do because anything we put our eyes to, our heart to, our hands on, anything about it is going to be good and it's going to honor the creator because he is creating someplace new where there is no sin, no shame, no wrong, no temptation. It's going to be beautiful because we're not going to be sustained by the demise of others. You might not realize that, but creation thrives. It lives on the demise of something else. The lion will lay down with the lamb. Why? Because the lion no longer needs to feast for sustenance on the lamb. 
because they will be sustained by the creator himself. And so every aspect of our carnal desire to kill, seek, and destroy, to take care of ourselves, to sustain ourselves is gone because we are sustained by God himself. It is going to be beautiful. It is a love story, not a horror story. It's a love story, not a horror story. And the most fitting ending to the story is simply this last part, which again, I could talk about, but why would I talk when I could just read? Because scripture is enough. And this is how the book of Revelation ends. Revelations 22. It says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hear this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life, the life that they cannot find in themselves, the life that is only found through the source of living water, which is Jesus, come. And I solemnly declare to everyone that hears these words or the prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds to it, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. That's why I caution you. Why are we flying through this book? Because I want to ensure we don't add to it. I want to ensure that we don't blow it out bigger than it is. You know what this is? It is a closing picture of God coming back for us. And in his last ditch effort to tell everyone that they need a savior, he's going to make it hell just long enough that people cry out for him so that they don't have to live in hell forever. Yet here's the crazy part is people still will. People will still reject our creator. I don't understand it. I don't get it, but we don't need to add to it. And here's the best part. If anyone removes any of these words from the book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. We have to preach the gospel. And he who is faithful to witness all these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. Amen. Amen. So listen, we looked at why I just completed the what that's what's going to happen. So now let's answer the question when, and I know that we don't know. I know that we don't know, but here's what I do know. And it's the most important part for you sitting here right now, because it's what you have to carry out of here. Are we in the last days? Are we in the end days? Is God near? Is he coming? Is the Antichrist been born? Is the world, is this happening? Is this happening? Is this happening? Who cares? Because I, why you are asking yourself, can I tell you that asking when is it going to happen is the most irrelevant thing in the world to worry about. And here's why. Put it on the screen. Everyone sitting here is currently living in the only days that you have. Who cares if they're the last? These are the days that God ordained for you. How are you stewarding them? I know a lot of people don't know this. Social media is a fickle thing. We think everyone knows it because we post it on Facebook. But, you know, right after Easter, my father-in-law had a a brain aneurysm and, and was touch and go for a long time. We thought that it was going really good and then it went really south and just yesterday, we, or Thursday, we made the decision to move him to hospice. 
And I'll tell you that not because I want you to feel sorry for me, but I want you to tell that because one of the things that I'm confronting, one of the realities that I'm facing, one of the, the, the raw, real, punch you in the gut truths of life is that not one of us is promised tomorrow. And I don't care how talented, I don't care how special, I don't care how rich, I don't care how awesome, I don't care how good looking you are, there is not one thing you could do to change what happened yesterday. But what all of us have is today. We have today. That's the only thing we have. You're not even promised your next breath. What you have is right now. (laughs) Why is that important? Because anyone who hears these words, come. Anyone who's thirsty, come. Anyone who desires to drink freely to the water life, come. Let me ask it a different way. I'll put this on your screen. Would you change what you were doing if you knew you were in the end days, the last days? The sad and crazy part is many of us would say yes. And my simple pastoral desire, advice, prompting, requirement, begging, pleading is simply this. Go ahead and make those changes now because you're not promised tomorrow. Steward these days for what they are. They're special. They're special. (laughs) So I don't know about you. I I don't know what to go where next. Well, I do. I'm just kind of setting the table, I guess. But I know that we all want to know more. But what about the seals? What about the thing that comes out of the water? What about this? Who cares? Do you know Jesus? Do you know your Savior? Have you accepted him as Lord? Because I'm telling you, I, I don't need to read about a locust the size of a horse. That stings you and you beg out, God, take my life, and he won't. I'm good. Jesus, yes, please, thank you. But some people need that. Some people need to understand what it looks like in the absence of God to understand God. I feel sorry for those people. But I will tell you, if you are thirsty, if you are hungry, if you're sitting here going, I want more out of this life, come. Say yes to Jesus. The Bible is very clear. Here's how you accept, receive. Your name gets written in the Lamb's book of life. It simply says that you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that he conquered the grave. You confess with your mouth. It doesn't say you say a prayer. It doesn't say you fill out a card. It doesn't say you stand up. It doesn't say you come forward. It just says you confess and believe. And I would invite you that when you don't just receive a savior, but you also accept him as Lord, man, that's when life starts getting fun. That's when the Holy Spirit starts to wake up in you and you start to give power and authority and you start to be an active participant in this forcefully advancing kingdom. And if you haven't done that, today is the day. Why? Because you're not guaranteed tomorrow and you can't change yesterday. You can't change years ago. You can't change what was. Today is the day. Make the best choice possible. Come. And if that's you, I would ask and invite you to just confess. Right now, you don't have to confess to anyone. Just talk to God. Believe in your heart. And here's the deal. I'd love to walk with you. And it's not a conditional statement. It's just, hey, let me help you. And if you make that choice today, fill out the connection card in front of you. Let me walk with you. I had a lady last week. She said, I accepted Jesus. I'm like, yeah, are you getting our devotion? She's like, every day, pastor, I'm learning what it means to be a Christian. This is amazing. I'm like, thank you. Let us walk with you. Fill out the card and we'll take it from there. All I need is your name and your number. 
I don't report it to anyone. I just celebrate and say hallelujah like the angels in heaven because all of heaven is rejoicing. Why? Because our Savior is rejoicing that one son or daughter has come home. And that's a beautiful thing. If you want to talk to someone, if you want someone to pray with you, go to our prayer. We have people who will guide you, answer questions. Come see me. Go there or come here. I don't care. We'll walk with you. I had some lady last week, Pastor, I want to know Jesus. I'm like, come on, let's do it right now. She accepted Jesus right then and there. It's beautiful. Her name is no longer in the books. It's in the book. And her life is a testament not of how great she is, not of how obedient she was. No, it's a testament of how good he is because she said yes to Jesus paying it all. It's that simple. All over the room, would you stand with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're up to. Thank you for this crazy, weird vision of what is to come, Father. May we not treat it like a puzzle, but may we see your desire in it is to return, to come with a swift justice, to be with your people, to unite your church with its bride, and to live in perpetual substance in your glory and your presence. God, thank you for that. Thank you for the words you gave to John. Thank you for his obedience in writing. Thank you for the spirit that is alive and well in this room right now that is moving. Thank you for your forcing against the kingdom. Thank you for the Lamb's book of life. Jesus, thank you for paying it all. So God, as we worship, as we declare hallelujah, just like all of heaven, I pray that you would continue to speak to us, you begin to fill us, that we wouldn't just allow you to be our savior, but God, we would allow you to be the Lord and savior of our life, that you would guide our steps towards a better future. We pray these things in your holy, holy, holy and precious name. And all of God's people say, amen, amen, amen.